Hello and welcome to the B-Movie Podcast, the podcast where we watch B-Movies. You know those $5 bins straight to DVD, who are these actors and why do they make this kind of B-Movies? Every week we watch a bad movie. We summarize it for you, review it, grade it, and then answer the absolutely needless question, is this better or worse than the ultimate B-Movie? The B-Movie with Jerry Seinfeld. This week I am joined by two special friends of mine, Andrew and Courtney. Uh, Andrew and Courtney, welcome to the podcast. Yeah, it's good to be here, man. You're very welcome. And before we dive into our fantastic film of uh, Flash uh, uh, Flash Gordon, I would like to just make a couple of announcements. So, uh, for those of you who have been asking, we have been added on Stitcher. So now the B-Movie Podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. I'm also been made aware that we can be found on Pocket Casts. So wherever you are, however you listen, you should be able to find the B-Movie Podcast. Additionally, our New Year's resolution or our goal for 2020 is to have a thousand followers on all of our social media. So this is Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. So please, please, please do us do us a favor. Uh, share with your friends. Tell your family about us. Uh, like our Facebook page, follow us on Twitter, follow us on Instagram. And in return, we are trying to make our 2020 goal to you to be releasing an episode every week. That's the ultimate goal. Uh, It is our promise that we will release an episode once every two weeks at minimum. And so some weeks might be better than others. I will always try to be transparent on social media as to when an episode is coming out uh, and if we're going to make that goal. But that's the ultimate goal for 2020. So help us help you. Go ahead and like us and we will produce that that content that you like so much. So, uh, Andrew, Courtney, I'm so glad you're here. Uh, you have picked a movie that I recently hadn't seen, um, but when I asked you what kind of movie you wanted to do for the B-Movie podcast, you immediately snatched out Flash Gordon. Now, Andrew, Courtney, why why this movie in particular? So, I first saw this movie um, a few years ago, maybe like three or four years ago. Um, And I only saw it once. I bought it on Blu-ray on a whim because I'm a big Star Wars fan. Um, And one of my favorite tidbits about Star Wars is that when George Lucas wanted to make uh, the original uh, Star Wars in 1977, of course, he wanted to make a Flash Gordon movie from the original 30s comics. But he couldn't get the rights to it. So he decided to make his own uh, space epic and made one of my favorite movies of all time. Uh, So Star Wars. Star Wars. (laughs) This this movie is kind of a a good history, I guess. And I guess an inspiration to Star Wars in a way. Um, you can kind of tell, you can kind of see that in the movie. It's like an early, early, early version of space epics. Yeah, um, yeah. So, so it's something that was on my radar, and I always knew about it. I knew it was uh, one of these kind of like B movie, like yeah, that movie's not pretty good, but some people have said that it's so bad that it's good. So I decided to check it out, and I watched it a few years ago, and I kind of loved it. So as soon as you asked about um, about a movie, I immediately thought of Flash Gordon. Yeah, and it it you can definitely tell the kind of influence that either it might have had or that other sci-fi movies have had on Flash Gordon because you can see a lot of scenes and a lot of um, oh just a lot of images and set design and tropes that come up uh, repeatedly. Uh, and you see them not only in things like Star Wars or Star Trek, but you also see them in Flash Gordon. Courtney, what I mean, what are you? Do you love this film as much as he does? No. <laughs> and why would that be? Oh my goodness, it is very ridiculous and outdated. <laughs> I, I do not deny any of these things. Oh my gosh. Yeah, no, I've I've watched the film and I can tell you that it is indeed ridiculous and outdated. So, for those of you who have not seen Flash Gordon, we're going to summarize it for you. So it starts off on a spaceship and you get that this guy has locked in on Earth, kind of with this targeting computer. 
And one of the assistants off screen says, you know, we found this, uh, you know, what would you like to do with it? And I think he starts an earthquake. They push the button on the console that says earthquake. There's also like volcanic eruption, uh, hot hail, uh, and some other stuff that's kind of just really weird. So causing natural disasters upon Earth, and and uh, you hear the voice say, you know, this is great, and they say, well, are you going to destroy it? He says, no, I like to play with things before I destroy them. And so then it kind of cuts to this guy sitting in a car reading a newspaper, waiting for a little plane, which is none other than our hero, Flash Gordon, quarterback for the New York Jets. Oh, yeah. Yeah. In the beginning, you don't realize this, but that is Ming the Merciless targeting Earth and Flash and who is it? What's the gal's name? Dale? Yes, it was Dale. So Flash and Dale are getting on this plane. So that's kind of where we start off. And you find out that the pilots, you know, say, oh, we hope Flash Gordon is better this next season. You know, he he, um, autographs something for the pilot's son. Uh, And then things start to get really weird. Andrew, what happens here? So at this point, uh, the sky turns uh, really red and gets all all cloudy and things. Yeah, Um, kind of psychedelic, if you will. A a little bit very much psychedelic. Yes. Uh, Very trippy and... um, gloriously um, technicolor kind of um, just very colorful background kind of happens where it's like a red sun in the clouds. This is where um, Ming's influence um, with his earth affecting machine is kind of happening here. He last selected hot hail. So these clouds are coming in and they're about to drop these uh, molten balls of hail. Yeah, which if you think (laughs) about hail, hail is caused by like a rapid freezing of a lot of water. And so like basically the water droplet starts up high, it collects more and more, and it just comes down in these large sizes. I mean, you can see golf ball size, softball size but i i don't understand how it's supposed to also be on fire like this is go ahead okay i was gonna say this guy also didn't know what earth was but he's like oh yes let's hit the earthquake button yeah <laughs> earth yes. earthquake uh what wouldn't it be called just a quake yeah, maybe a space quake when i first saw this movie that was one of the first things i noticed because he's the the assi- emperor ming's assistant is like it's a it's a, a obscure planet called earth and then Ming is like, oh, yeah, this will be fun. And he immediately presses a button labeled Earthquake. <laughs> <laughs> I think Clytus is the assistant, yes, uh, who is also dressed like the 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 master Grand Mason uh, Supreme. <laughs> he's, he's in all black and gold, and he looks like Doctor Doom if he had a golden arm and golden mask. But he's wearing these robes very clearly with the Masonic temple symbol on it, like the two V's overlapping each other, one you know, one pointing north and pointing south, except there's no M in the middle. Like, no. that's the only difference. But Illuminati confirmed. Ming is having fun with Earth, so Earth is kind of in a pickle. Uh, Flash and Dale are in the air. Their plane ends up crashing into a greenhouse where we see a scientist, Dr. Zarkov, uh, who is convinced that this weather, all of these problems, Problems are not just some sort of weird anomaly with the Earth, but rather that is it's an attack from a superior life form or from an intelligent life form. And so he's got a rocket, and he's gonna he's gonna go up to the moon because he's figured out where the ship is that is causing all of this damage, and he's gonna go up to the the moon and save the Earth. <laughs> but his assistant, uh, Mongo, not Mongo, um, I, I even forget his assistant. His assistant won't get in the ship. He's like, I'm definitely not gonna die in a homemade rocket. Well, then 
Flash and Dale crash into the greenhouse, and he points a gun at them and says, get in the, you know, get in the ship. Then they wrestle about it. Flash knocks him into the let's start button, and so they all strap in, and he says, you gotta push down on those red pedals or the G-forces will kill us. Next thing you know, their ship is in space. It did not come apart. Apparently, Dr. Han Zarkov can make a working spaceship. Apparently those Russians are good at building rockets. Yeah, yeah. Who knew? (laughs) Uh, You know what my favorite story about the space race is? So, have you heard of a space pen before? Do you know what a space pen is? A space pen is this little, little ballpoint pen uh, that America spent millions of dollars developing a pressurized ink cartridge so that they could write in space. Huh. Uh, and they spent all this money developing a pressurized ink cartridge so they could take notes and so that they you know, wouldn't have uh, to deal with um, any other kind of writing utensil. You know what the Russians did? They took a pencil. <laughs> yep, we spent millions of dollars, and that's a fun—that's a funny story. But I guess the thought behind it was we don't want to have to deal with the wooden shavings floating around in space. That's, that's true. Which I could understand, but like, bring a plastic bag to put around it or something, because like, I don't know, millions of dollars versus like a five-cent fix. Like, I, I don't know. I think the Russians had the right idea. There. Russian ingenuity, right there. Yeah, right, comrade. So. <laughs> Zarkov, Flash, and Dale are all flying up, and they end up landing on some planet in Mongo. Uh, yeah, I think they land directly into uh, Ming City. Yeah, Ming City. Uh, right outside the city. Yeah. Which I don't. I mean, if you are a, um, if you're an Asian listener of the B Movie Podcast, especially Chinese. I'm getting a lot of uh, Mao Zedong kind of uh, vibes from Ming. Yeah, especially the uh, the red and gold color palette. Uh, yeah, kind of gives that away as well. Well, not only that, but like, ain't nobody could say anything about him. Everyone no. is all all hail Ming, you know, conqueror of the universe or whatever. And it, it's just very like there is no tolerance for being against Ming. They get captured because they're in Ming City. They get brought in front of Ming. They order that Zarkov be uh, reprogrammed, that Flash be executed, and that Dale be prepared for his own pleasure. But uh, Flash starts to fight him, and he's kind of not doing so hot until what? Until he discovers the power of football. Yeah. (laughs) And, And what is he... Now, he's a quarterback for the New York Jets. Courtney, how does he... What happens that he starts to become super awesome at fighting these guys? Uh, I believe it was Dale through like the. Uh huh. I think it was Zarkov uh, that tossed <laughs> tossed an egg roughly the size of a football. And then he was like, "Oh!" And then he started just just running right. into these guys. Hut hut hut. And it's the most ridiculous football scene. Yeah. And my favorite line from it is that uh, Ming says to um. Uh, He says to Clytus. Clytus, he said, "Oh, we should probably execute their trainers. They're doing really bad." Yeah, he asks. He asks, "Are they on the right pills?" And he goes, "Yes." He goes, "Well, you should probably execute their trainer (laughs) because they're doing poorly." It was just the funniest thing because you know there's like this dramatic fight scene going on, and that's just what he says. Yeah. It's pretty funny, but then Ming kind of puts a halt to it. Uh, well, Flash ends up, Zarkov tries to throw another egg at one of the, the guards and ends up hitting Flash and knocking him out. So it's over. It was entertaining, but Flash is going to be executed. Dale is prepared to be one of the harem girls, and Zarkov's going to be reprogrammed. So as we trace this, we also see Aura, who happens to be Ming's daughter, Princess Aura. And there's kind of this duplicity here. Like, you can tell that she's really not a great person, but she's also not about all the things that her father are doing. So she's kind of a traitor, but she's a traitor for her own personal pleasure. So she's like having an affair with the doctor. She's engaged to Prince, what's his name? 
uh, Baron. Baron, played by uh, the on- the one and only Timothy Dalton. Yeah, Timothy Dalton. I don't know how they got Timothy Dalton for this, but that's crazy. So, Aura uh, is engaged to Prince Baron. Then she also is interested in Flash. So, Flash goes to the gas chamber, and the doctor, like, gives him a shot. You see Doctor Doom say, hey, you're gonna die now, and so then Flash is in the gas chamber, and then he's dead. And so they take him <laughs> and put him, the next scene is a coffin. Roll credits. Yeah, roll, roll credits. Flash, ah, short-lived hero of the universe. Uh, so, they get into this coffin, and Aura's there with the doctor, and the doctor brings him back to life. I guess that whatever shot he gave him first reacted with the second shot that he gave him. Aura's playing both sides of the field, uh, and so then Aura wants to save Flash. So, I mean, what what's her plan to keep Flash around? They got to stash Flash somewhere. Where where was she oh, gonna put him? Like, oh, so what's yeah, her so plan? She, so um, she she basically sneaks him onto. Well, first she dresses him up in. Uh, you know, in the traditional a Ming, guard. Ming yeah. uh, guard clothes, the red and gold. Um, so he's got, you know, this this crazy uh, red tank top on to show the uh, the, the buffness. Yeah, oddly uh, enough, <laughs> does that red tank top have a lightning bolt on it? Uh, yeah, <laughs> it, it does indeed. Which is for Flash? So, like, I, that seems kind of counterintuitive to put his symbol on his shirt. Bef- but Before he even has this outfit, though, he has a T-shirt that just says Flash, Flash on it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I guess and he's got that beautiful feathered golden hair. <laughs> I guess that's your um, um, football, your athlete uh, for you. I don't, I don't know. I um, mean, athletes nowadays, haven't you ever seen them wear those, like, those giant golden diamond studded chains, and it'll have, like, Luigi's head on it, or, like, something weird, <laughs> like... Obviously, football players or or athletes with significant wealth, you know, maybe they they buy the weird things. But he just bought a T-shirt with his name yeah. on it. So Flash Gordon, he's all about just uh, just you know his shirt. Yeah, like he is Flash. Anyhow, they dress him up in the in this guard outfit. Mm-hmm. They sneak him onto a ship, um, and then they're gonna t- take him to the world of. It is called Mo Mongo. They're taking him to Mongo. Uh, which is a forest moon that's... Ar- Arborea. Arborea. Arborea, which yes. is arbor tree, so Arborea, where um, where Prince Baron is in charge. And so Aura says to Prince Baron, you know, I just want you to watch him for me, and he's all upset about it, but they get on this ship and get to Arborea, uh, but they find out due to the telecommunications whatever... Yeah, there's this fancy uh, uh, telepathy machine. Yeah. Uh, apparently you can um, you can Skype somebody with your brain. Uh, yeah, so she, she calls Prince... Um, we got to get these names down. Prince Baron. Prince Baron. Calls Prince Baron to say, hey, we're bringing... You know, I'm, I'm on my way. And then he, Flash, threatens to, like crash the ship unless uh, Aura will let her let, let him talk to Dale who is in a harem presumably who has so she drinks this green potion that says this will make your time with Ming better like it'll, it'll be it'll be less vile she's told you won't forget it but it will make it will make you not want to forget it yes exactly so I guess it'll be enjoyable so she drinks this green potion and then the next scene you see her in the midst of a big giant bed with a bunch of little pillows like harem style and so like I think it's implied that Ming has had his way with her or he's or he's planning on it I, f- I, I don't I don't know I don't yeah but think then he, another another um, gal comes in to give her more potion. 
Uh, yeah. I'm so, so like, I, I don't know what the potion is for. Anyway, so he, he talks to Dale as Dale is in this bedroom, and she's like, I gotta get out. Flash is still alive. Like, we all thought he was dead. I gotta get out of here. So she gives the potion to to the, the guard gal who came in to administer it to her, dresses her up in the dress and covers her with pillows, and then puts on her outfit. So what we're, what we're learning here is never mistake the power of a good disguise, right? <laughs> if you look like a guard and you act like a guard, people probably think you're a guard. It's just like in real life. If you if you wear a you know a neon yellow safety vest and have right. a clipboard, no one will even stop you. you yeah, the power of the lanyard. You know, if yeah, you have a lanyard or a badge with like your name on it, people just won't. They won't do whatever. They just don't question it. There's a really funny uh, YouTube. I wouldn't say series. Courtney, have you seen this where um, these guys will just carry like they test the boundaries? So they carried a ladder into a movie theater. Like, they, they got to fix something in a movie theater and then watched a bunch of movies. And they're like, well, that worked. Um, they carried a ladder into a, a high-priced museum, you know, and then just nobody stopped them. You know, they're wearing safety vests carrying a ladder, you know, and nobody stopped them, you know, amazing. to get them in there. So, like, obviously, if you look the part, ain't nobody going to question. So Dale gets out by looking like uh, one of these female kind of guard servant peoples. And then uh, Zarkov is being reprogrammed. And there's this moment between Clytus and this other gal who is like the female Clytus. And she says, we're going to, we're going to, pro or he says, we're going to reprogram him level three. And she's like, yeah, level three, I got you. And what level do they really put him on, Courtney? Uh, no, level six. Yeah, I, I don't think that she's a good listener because uh, she immediately ignores, not you, Courtney, like the uh, the gal in the movie. She immediately ignores Clytus and says, yeah, level three, program him to level six. And she goes, uh, the guard at the little controls goes, level six. And she goes, I gave you an order. And they reprogram for level six. So apparently they drain Zarkov's memories back until the point he's a fetus. And then they're going to reprogram him with other memories. So now he's turned into a spy, like a double a double secret agent. And so Zarkov is let go to help Dale go find Flash on Arborea. Zarkov and Dale are going. They steal a ship to get to Flash on Arborea. And so everyone's kind of following to Arborea or the, uh, the, the, the Mongo, because there's Arborea and then there's what's the Sky City? I guess it's just called Sky City. And then there is also the frozen Phrygia. Uh, and these are the different kinds of, I, I guess, planets? Yeah, I, well, they call, really them sure. moon, they call them moons in the movie, but they don't even look like moons. They're kind of like just floating land masses. Yeah. Like if you play Magic, basically, like the right. Zendikar Islands. Or like if you think of um, uh, in Super Smash Brothers, there's um, Battlefield. It's just kind of hanging out there. Yeah, it's just like a big. Ba I, I don't know. I don't know why and, this. Place, but and the space in between all these floating landmasses is super, super trippy. Like yeah. straight out of like oh. comics from the forties. Right, like, and very. Um, what's the word? Um, there's a term for it. LSD-ish. What's the word I'm looking for? Uh, Euphoric. That's yeah, not right. Yeah. Yeah. Very trippy. Obviously, some people had some fun trying to come up with these backgrounds. So. We're all going to Arborea. Prince Baron doesn't like Flash, does he? I mean, no. he sees him as a threat to his relationship with Aura. So, like, he kind of threatens to kill him, but then he gets out. Uh, like, Flash gets out and challenges Baron to, like, a duel where they got to stick their arms in the tree trunk. And, and, and not get stung by And this. not get stung by the thing. Looking thing. And Flash matches him toe to toe. Then Baron changes the rules. Then Flash pretends to get stung. Bests Baron. Um, with a sword, and then says, like, we could all work together, you know, if we tried. 
and we could overthrow Ming. You know, that's what he fears most is being overthrown, and we could do it. And then I guess they escape to the Hawk Hawkman Sky City. Yes. Yeah. And this is where they meet up with uh, Zarkov and Dale. But in yes. the meantime, we can't forget that Zarkov, we find out actually his... Um, his reprogramming was completely unsuccessful, yes. un- unbeknownst to Ming and his forces. Oh, why was that, Andrew? Uh, because of the power of the human spirit. The human spirit. Uh, he remembered uh, all the equations of Einstein uh-huh. and the Beatles. And Shakespeare. And Shakespeare. Uh-huh. And, uh, and the Beatles. The, remembering those things uh, helped the human spirit persevere. Because they couldn't take that away. They, they can't take that away. I don't know. Very, so, very cheesy, so but... We find out that Zarkov is actually a double-double agent. Yeah. Because a triple agent. A triple agent, if you will. <laughs> Yeah. So, uh, Clytus is actually on his way as well because Ming is like, who's the traitor that let Flash go? Clytus says, I'll find him out. Apparently, Clytus really wants to marry Aura, which I thought was strange. But then Aura's kind of a traitor, and so he's on his way to Cloud City. I'm sorry, Sky City. <laughs> um, let, let's just talk about this for a second. Uh, does any of this evoke certain images for you guys? Because uh, there's yes. a jungle planet, planet, a treetop village like <laughs> the Ewoks. There's like Dagobah, a swamp planet. There's a, a sky city, cloud city, right? I mean, this is... Although, to be fair, this movie did come out in 1980, which was before both Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi. Right. So who copied who is the question. Who copied who? And George Lucas, we know, loved Flash Gordon, wanted to make Flash Gordon. So I'm not saying George Lucas ripped off Flash Gordon. I'm just saying there's some similarities here. The only thing Star Wars is missing is Queen. Yes, the only thing Star Wars is missing is Queen. So we're kind of jumbled up in this plot, but uh, everyone ends up in Sky City because they're trying to convince the Hawkmen, you heard me, Hawkmen, to incite rebellion against Ming. But Hawkmen are like, no, we're going to sell you out so that we can buy time for our own rebellion. And it's like, why not just all rebel together? So they they pit um, Baron against um, Flash in this kind of weird game where they're on a, a tilting... At like a floating disc, and yeah. then it, it tilts uh, remote controlled by the like the main Hawkman. Yeah, um, and he's got spikes that come out, and there's two whips on the ground that they can use. The the, the main uh, Hawkman's name, by the way, is Prince Voltan. Prince Voltan, uh, which is right? a pretty awesome name, by the way. I'm just just want to throw. Yeah, that. he's kind of a weird character. He's weird, and he's kind of amazing. He grows on you. I kind of didn't yes. like him at first, but he really grows on you. Yes, because he's he's not exactly simple, but he kind of is. But not really. He's just very boisterous. So they all end up basically together, and they realize that the best way, because Flash does not kill Baron, he saves him, and uh, Hawkman Voltan is like, why would he save him? He already bested him in duel. And Zarkov goes, because that's humanity. <laughs> and so apparently, apparently, like, grace and um, mercy don't exist outside of humanity? I apparently suppose. not. I'm not sure. So they end up all deciding that, hey, we're going to rebel together. Um, and so then, wouldn't you know it, Clytus and some others are on their way to capture Aura and Flash and Dale so that Dale can get married to Ming. Uh, and so they're on their way, and there's this big battle with this big spaceship. They kind of end up hijacking the spaceship, but... They get Dale. So we're kind. Of, so this is one of the, my favorite parts of the whole movie. Uh, so they basically capture everyone and leave Flash in Cloud City, uh, and they go to blow up Cloud City. But as they blow him up, Flash finds this basically flying Vespa. Yes. Um, 
and that's how Flash escapes the city. Mm -hmm. Um, And as Flash is going to Ming City to go rescue Dale, there's this giant, you know, retro-futuristic looking, like, very bulbous with, like, points. Yeah, very Rocket Man-esque. Yeah, it looks like it was drawn in, you know, from the 30s or 40s, like, like what they thought the future would be like. Yeah, what you'd see at the World's Fair or Uh, something like that. I think it was called uh, War Rocket Ajax was the name of the ship. Yes, War Rocket Ajax. Uh, And then so... um, Basically, Flash. Uh, they kn- Flash knows they're gonna be looking for him, so he goes on his space Vespa and just flies in front of it to say, basically, "Hey, I'm here. Come and get me." Yeah. And he flies back into the clouds. Um, at which point, the War Rocket Ajax goes into the clouds to chase after him, yeah. only to be met by an army of Hawkmen. It, it, <laughs> in words of Admiral Akbar, it's That's a trap. Right. So the the spaceship Ajax um, blows up Sky City. But then that incites everyone to kind of band together. So then Flash and the Hawkmen end up capturing the spaceship. All the while, some of the best music in the entire... Right. Uh, in, in all of the 80s. Is by playing. Queen. By Queen. Uh, we forgot to mention that uh, I think Flash killed Clytus by throwing him onto the spikes. Yes. Before Sky City blew up. Yes. And so then, like, Clytus's secondhand woman, uh, who's back in Ming City is kind of in control now and so they're they're all they've captured dale and they got to go rescue dale dale's getting ready to get married they capture the skyship ajax um and they're basically just going to kamikaze it into the ming city yeah into the (laughs) chapel and so uh the marriage ceremony is going on it's super funny and they're, they're trying to play it cool because they're under attack but the wedding's going on so the gal gets on the microphone and says do not worry all of our weapons are being fired continuously in honor of the marriage of Ming. And they're all like, oh yeah, that makes sense. You know, And if you think about it, in a totalitarian, totalitarian government, totalitarian government, that's what I'm looking for, yeah. where like your dictator's getting married, like a show of military strength and power. Not unreasonable. Like, I, I would understand. You know what? If I was a dictator, I'd want the guns going off continually. Oh, yeah. uh, the lasers, not the guns, <laughs> but the lasers. With, with some awesome sound effects. With some awesome, you know, pew, 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 pew. Yeah, so uh, they end up, he's going to crash the ship, but then Zarkov, Zarkov and Baron are working on lowering the lightning shield. Yeah, there's a lightning shield. Yeah, I don't understand this one, but apparently Ming City is surrounded by artificial lightning, And then if you crash the ship into it, the ship's going to blow either way. But if the ship hits the lightning, it's going to blow instantly and kill, like, everybody. And Flash is going to basically give himself up for billions of people. He says it's a... I forget what the quote is. He says, it's a rational transaction, one life for billions. And that's what Zarkov says earlier when he's threatening to kill Ming with the gun that he had in his pocket. Uh, But Flash is going to kamikaze himself, but then they get the lightning shield down, and then the ship crashes into the chapel and impales Ming, (laughs) uh, which is like one in a million shot. Yeah. I think it's a one in a million shot. And then Flash gets out and confronts Ming as he's dying. Ming, like, kind of shoots him with his ring, Delio, yeah. and then kind of fades off, and then his his life essence goes somewhere, but the ring kind of falls down to the ground. Then everyone's all happy because Flash ah uh, has saved the universe uh, from the evil Ming. He saved the Earth, and they're all praising Flash. They invite Flash, Dale, and Zarkov to stay, but then Dale says what? She's, he says, we could stay, you know, and Dale says, I'm a New York City girl, oh, yes. uh, and this place, <laughs> it's too quiet out. around here. And I'm just like, what do you mean it's too qu- What? <laughs> When's the last time you've flown a spaceship into a dictator's palace in New York City? That doesn't happen. Like, come on now. 
it, weird dialogue. And then the final frame is really great because why, Andrew? Yeah, so so the movie ends uh, on a shot of the ring. Um, a hand comes from the side, grabs the ring, and it says, the end. Question mark? And then a question mark what? appears, which uh, this was also used in Game of Shadows. If you watched um, Sherlock Holmes' Game of Shadows with Robert Downey Jr. and Jude Law, uh, because Jude Law is writing his novel, and he writes the end, and then Sherlock, who's supposedly dead, comes out of blending in with his camouflage and puts a question mark right at the end of of uh, Watson's novel. And so <laughs> this is a, this is a trope that is well used, but I think it might appear here for maybe the first time. I'm not sure. But that's kind of Flash Gordon, Savior of the Universe. A lot of this movie's charm is not necessarily in the plot. But in the effects, in the the graphics, in kind of the visuals, and just some of the the campiness of the film in total. So that's the summary. Anything else to add to the summary you might have forgotten? Um, I don't think there's anything uh, too big that we have forgotten. Sure. Uh, one thing I did want to mention that's kind of part of the summary. When they're in Cloud City before... Uh, Sky City. Sky City, I'm sorry. It's easy to confuse. It, before before um, Flash uh, fights on the uh, Disc of Death with um, Baron, um, he makes a comment to Dale, who, if you will remember, they just met on the plane probably like two days ago. Right. Maybe. Oh, this um, is great. And as he's going to fight on the disc, he realizes, you know, this might be it. So I kind of forget the exact context, but he basically says something to the effect of, uh, this will be something to tell our kids. Yes. And then they're like, let's get a move on. And she goes, I just got engaged. Hold on. And so that was kind of weird. Yeah, uh, they knew each other for like two days. And right. by mentioning, oh, yeah, we're going to have kids one day. She's like, oh, we're engaged. Sure. She's, no, no, no. This is, she said, I accept. It's like, I accept, what? right. She said, I accept. And then the guards came and said, and then she said, I just got engaged. Yeah. So that's the summary. Let's talk about the buzz. So I want to hear from you guys. What are your thoughts on this film? Like what? And what? I mean, we can start with anything, but like gut reaction of the film. What? What do you think? Unforgivably eighties. Unforgivably eighties. Un unforgettably eighties. Like both. it's yeah, they're both. Uh, it is very much eighties. Also, the claymation spaceships. The claymation spaceships. Yeah, like when they're going to space, it's all claymation. Oh, really? Yeah. Or, or at least stop motion. Yeah. Yeah, uh, stop motion. Yeah. It, it yeah. probably is clay. It might be clay it, it as well. It looks like clay. Uh, in any event, yeah, basically any movement through space is low-budget effects. I think I'm certain on purpose. Um, or Maybe. Maybe. It's part uh, of it all. It, it's, it's certainly part of the charm. Whether it was on purpose mm -hmm. or not, this baits the movie massively. It's funny because when you see things moving through space, you can also see the square of the green screen that's yeah. moving. Yeah, there's there's certain points where you can see, uh, yeah, like where the model is superimposed over the trippy background. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it was it's super funny. So that's one of the things I want to talk about. So overall, this movie shouldn't be as good as it is. Not no, at all. No. Um, but it's this weird amalgamation of different things that comes together to be so charming. And one of those is the effects. Like, we're talking about the trippy backgrounds and the futuristic spaceships, but overall, when you're watching it, the thing that gets me is this captures so well the feeling of a comic book. Yeah, exactly. Because that's what it's supposed to be. And it's not supposed to be super high budget. Like, when we see the Avengers, like Endgame, Infinity War, or really any of the Avengers films... They've made them super realistic in modern day or in the future. Like, they've really tried to make them believable and live action. Flash Gordon was not 
was not doing that. Flash Gordon was making this a live-action version of a comic book, much like Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. Exactly. And in fact, the guy who did Scott Pilgrim vs. the World holds Flash Gordon as a lot of his inspiration for making uh, Scott Pilgrim the way that it came out. That, that certainly shows. Yeah. Uh, I think you can tell, uh, as you're saying, modern comic book movies kind of ask the question, like, how can we make this look like a modern movie? Right. Uh, and, you know, to the benefit for the most part, I think, um, I think a lot of comics wouldn't translate well directly. Sure. Uh, so you have to kind of make some artistic liberties there. But I think it's clear that the point of this is uh, when they made this movie, they kind of asked the question, how can we just take the comic from the page and put it on the screen? Yes. And I think they did a very good job of that. And a lot of this is corny and it's cheesy, but if you looked in a comic and if the if the comic strip was like, Flash, you've got to get out of here. The Sky City's going to blow. And Flash is like looking around for some way of egress and he finds a space scooter or a sky <laughs> scooter or, or I forget what it's called, but like... It's this basically this jet ski that works through the air. Like, you wouldn't think twice about it. It's like, oh, obviously the Hawkmen use this because flying is too tiring all the time. <laughs> you wouldn't think about that. But in a film, it's just like, come on. Like, you got a Vespa that flies through sp- Like, what is this? This is stupid. <laughs> but in a comic book, it just makes sense, you know? So I-, I love how they get that charming comic book feel through the effects. Now, the acting. Let's talk about this for a minute. Oh no! What do you guys think? What do you guys think of the app? Oh, it was really bad. And and how? How was it bad? Oh man! Like it just felt like they were reading from a script. Uh huh. It did. They were, they were probably reading from a comic book page. Yeah. They they may have. Yes. Or like Dale, like she's like fast as a plane. She's like, I'm never flying again. Yeah. So there's a lot of unbelievable dialogue. So when that plane crashes, first off, the pilots are just evaporate. I think Ming evaporated them. Um, and then Flash takes the controls with Dale and like they're shouting in the air with the windows of the front of the plane out. And he's like, you've got to, you've got to help me pull up. And she's like, what do you mean? This isn't my scene, Flash. (laughs) Look, if the plane is going down, you're not using this hip lingo of this ain't my scene, you know, that kind of thing. Like, and if the plane crashes into this greenhouse, you're not going to be like, oh, that's the last time I try flying. It's just very, it's, it's comic book-esque. Like, it's, it's not founded in reality. Too like as soon as they crash the plane, like they ran over the assistant. There is no remorse for this guy. Yeah, died. yeah. Well, I and he's so forgettable. I don't even have his name here. Um, this guy, they accidentally, you know, it seems like they accidentally killed this guy and they never mention him. Yeah. yeah. Except, I mean, Zarkov was going to shoot him because he wouldn't get into the rocket. Sure. So that's not really good. But you know, it's just like, oh, all right. Yeah. Then. <laughs> but the acting and the dialogue, like the acting, and leaves something to be desired, but at the same time is very fulfilling because it's it's. It's so nuanced to me because it's bad acting, but not for bad acting's sake, but it's also aware of what it's doing. It it certainly is. Right? And so, like, you can't... From the graphics and everything, the general feel of the film, when you even first start it, you know it's not trying to be Star Wars. It's not trying to be something that is live action for the sake of being uh, believable. You just know it's it's part of its charm is that, you know, we're kind of campy, we're kind of parody, we're kind of uh, satirical. At the same time, we're just having fun. Yeah, and I do enjoy the fact that it's also not directly, like, parodying anything. It's it's right. not, it's, the, the idea of the movie isn't necessarily to make fun of these movies, mm-hmm. but it's to have fun with them. 
you know, make a Flash Gordon movie. And sure, it's campy and stuff, but that is the movie. Yeah. Um, and that's what I like about it. And the other part, you know, that we see, like, let's let's talk about origin stories for a second. So, Spider-Man. Okay, Peter Parker's just kind of a science nerd. He gets bit by a spider and has spider powers. We love Spider-Man. How is that any different from Flash Gordon, quarterback for the Jets, ends up on another planet trying to defend the Earth? Not. It's really not, it's right? It's really not. It's really not. Or like Green Lantern, you know, ends up finding this alien crashes and puts on his ring and becomes the Green Lantern. How's that any different? Uh, Fantastic Four, they're out in space and they get hit with some sort of space storm and they all get powers. Like, what is the difference? Uh, the, the premise is that the world is in danger, and someone's got to save it. And it, it's just, I, I can imagine picking up a comic book and going, okay, he's a quarterback for the Jets. Let's roll with that. Like, I, I wouldn't question it. And as a movie, if you're taking it too seriously, you're going to sit there and go, all right, come on now. Like, a quarterback is going to save the universe. Like, come, <laughs> like why, why couldn't this be some sort of, like, um, you know, high-tech James Bond or something? Or why couldn't this be some sort of scientist or, or whatever? And you kind of get these reminiscent feelings of, well, uh, Flash is kind of the muscle, Zarkov is kind of the brains, and Dale is kind of the support. Like, it's, it just... By all accounts, it shouldn't work, but it does. It does. And and that's what has me so gripped about this, because the, the effects, the acting, the dialogue, they're all subpar. They're all B-movie-esque. And yet, for some reason, when you throw all that together and then mix in a healthy dose of Queen going, Flash, ah, savior of the universe, it's just... It works. It works for some reason. I'm going to shut up about that. What about you guys? Like, other things about this film. What's your reaction to the film? Notable quotes, scenes, things you want to talk about. What else you got? Um, so, I mean, we, we've already touched on it, so I don't want to go too much more. But the soundtrack from Queen uh, is, is like, amazing in this movie. Yes. I don't know necessarily how to describe, like, the metal rock and roll anthem that plays as they're trying to invade mm -hmm. the... Uh, space rocket ajax right um the music there is so metal rock and roll 80s uh and even like you know that late 70s kind of early 80s like raw rock and roll vibe right it's great um and that mu that music carries through the rest of the movie at that point um through to the wedding where to the point that they even have uh here comes the bride played on an electric guitar mm -hmm. um as ming is coming down the aisle it, <laughs> it the music is impeccable as far as this this level of movie is concerned mm -hmm. courtney do you have a thought yeah. on that uh, not on the music, but the costume design. Okay, before we get to the costume <laughs> designs first, I want to say something about, about Queen and this movie. I think Queen is the absolutely perfect choice for this this film score, and oh, here's, here's why. Have you guys seen Bohemian Rhapsody, the movie? Yes. Oh, yeah. Uh, I thought it was great. It's not exactly shot-for-shot shot biopic because they take some liberties with things, but there's a scene in Bohemian Rhapsody where they're pitching Bohemian Rhapsody, which is this... We've all heard Bohemian Rhapsody... It's so weird, right? Because it's operatic, it's heavy metal, it's a lot of different vocals, and when it comes on in the car, you all look to each other and figure out who's going to do what part, and then we all <laughs> sing it at the top of our lungs, right? Uh, you know, that Wayne's World scene where they're all in the car and, and they're, they're headbanging to it. And when they pitch that song, it's like an eight-minute song, right? Uh, I think it's uh, like it's almost six minutes. Six-minute song. It's, long. it's a very long song. It was much longer than the songs of the day, and a lot of them 
them, you know, they wanted something like a Killer Queen. You know, they said, give me another Killer Queen or, or, or give me something else. Not not this. And they said, no, this is what we put together. It's experimental. We'll, we'll do a whole album called Night at the Opera. And it'll be, it'll be this operatic, heavy metal kind of thing. And Queen did it. Against all odds, Queen did it. And it worked. So when you're looking at this space opera that is kind of heavy metal meets comic book meets adventure queen is absolutely perfect for this because queen looks at this film and goes this is exactly if queen was trying to be a space opera exactly and and queen is such the perfect pick for it because they understand better than anyone what it's going for in theme so like I just I think it's it's a remarkable choice. And has Queen ever done another film score? Uh, not that I'm aware of. If they did, it would be much slower. But I don't think so. Well, there's definitely been Queen songs used in other film scores. Yeah. But Queen wasn't the one doing them. No. Like Queen actually did the music for all of this movie. Yes, the, the like the background music, the score in the background, yeah. um, and as well as um, there's a, a few points where the uh, the where the flash comes up. Um, but not often, but it's mostly like the background score. Right. It is done by Queen. You can tell it's like rock and roll heavy metal yep. throughout the whole movie. And somehow operatic. Yes. So uh, perfect choice there. So, Courtney, you want to talk about costuming. Yes. Yeah. And what about what about costuming did you want to talk about? Oh, my goodness. The foam pads for the Yes. <laughs> and they would bend in the fight scene. And then also the snake people costume. Oh, gosh. <laughs> it's basically just sock puppets for heads. <laughs> It's really bad. Um, Awful. So the the foam shoulder pads, it's really funny because it's it's like a costume you would see on the rack for Halloween. Like if you wanted to be Ming, you would have this foam shoulder pad and and it would look or like the, you know, the fake foam muscles that you see. It's kind of like that, except they move around in the fight scenes and it's a real Hollywood production. Uh, That's the funny part. Or like the bent, like the bent um, antenna for the. Yeah, right. When it impales Ming and Ming slides off of it, the antenna is bent. And you can tell very clearly that it's either like plastic or foam or some kind of set piece. Um, That was really funny as well. The costuming was really cool because I think it was very colorful uh, and was very different. It, It had the theme down. Like everything was done very well. Like you would think if I were a an incredible merciless space dictator, I'd really want to have this interior designer. Like I'd want everyone, like my palace is gold, red, and white. Uh, And then everyone is kind of gold, red, and white. But then like the Arboreans are green. Yeah, I would point out that each uh, each kind of individual moon or planet or whatever you want to call them uh-huh. kind of each have their own aesthetic. Yeah, um, and that shows in their costume design. Uh, so when when the Hawkmen are on a different planet, you can definitely tell that they kind of stick out because they have their own right. kind of aesthetic that yeah. works well. But it is definitely like it it was low budget. It was low budget and plasticky, but it was still at the same time kind of well done. Yeah, like it just it just it. It worked for some reason. So, what, I mean, what else about the film have you noticed or, or you know, sticks out that you want to talk about? I, I, this is more of a, of a smaller thing. But I think um, the theme in the movie of kind of uniting the peoples to, like, fight mm. like a, a singular enemy, it, it's a played-out trope, but it, it was it was also done kind of well, I think. Yeah. Uh, it, but, in you know, in the, in the kind of sort of a cheesy way. But uh, you definitely got the vibe uh, at the end of the, the – where Flash fought um, – 
Prince Baron on on the disc, mm-hmm. and at that point is when the people kind of come together. Um, it's definitely a uh, bringing the free peoples of Middle Earth kind of moment, right? Uh, where all the free peoples band together against the big Sauron bad guy. Yeah, there's a lot of where was Gondor, where was Gondor, and then we shall ride to meet them. Yeah. Uh, that yeah. kind of that kind of moment, and that was really good. Um, and that's also done like you know, think Braveheart, you know, kind of rising up against something else. There was a good line in there where Aura talks about uh, the moons of Mongo and how her father Ming pits them against each other and keeps them fighting amongst themselves. And that's really what the genius is, because if they're fighting amongst themselves, if the Arboreans and the Phrygians and the Hawk people are fighting amongst themselves, they can't team up and overthrow Ming. You know, that's the kind of thing where Flash realizes this. And he knows that the only way that we can really solve all these problems, save the universe and my beloved Earth, is to overthrow Ming, and we have the power to do so if we just band together. And so that's, I mean, that's a good kind of, you're right, it is tropish, but it's its done well, yeah. because everyone has their own kind of motivations, and everyone kind of has their own um, feelings about it, but they all end up working together anyway, and it works out in the end. So, any other thoughts about about uh, you know kind of for the buzz? Because we're, we're going to get into grading, and I've got a couple of, couple of thoughts in grading, but anything else? Um, I guess a, a final kind of thing I wanted to point out. This has an interesting cast. Uh, mm. Not a, not a lot of like crazy star power. I would say I think the biggest one is probably Timothy Dalton. Maybe yeah. if um, we'll get to him though. Uh, my favorite though is Max von Sydow um, as Ming. Uh, he's he'd be the only other one who's arguably the same as Timothy mm-hmm. Dalton as far as like current day star power. Right. Um, he was in quite a few movies uh, that I actually haven't unfortunately haven't seen yet, although they're on my radar that I want to get to. Um, but his biggest role that kind of links back to Star Wars that I personally know him from um, in The the Force Awakens, Episode 7, he plays uh, Lor Santeca, which, if you remember, at the very beginning of the movie, he's the guy who gives the map to Poe at the beginning and says, this will begin to make things right. Mm-hmm. Um, so to me, that's an interesting you know, circle back from yeah. Star Wars to Flash Gordon. Is there a connection? Whoa! Who, who knows? I don't know. Uh, but Max Moncito is in quite a few movies uh, that's... He, he's a well-known... Um, is there something else he was in that we would know? Uh, so I think the biggest one it would be Minority Report with Tom Cruise. Okay. Um, that's one that I haven't seen yet, but I've heard is really good. Heard so it's very good as well. Um, he was in Game of Thrones, although I haven't really seen that Wait one. Wait a minute. Who was he in Game of Thrones? Um, he was Three-Eyed Raven. No way! Wasn't he? Ming was the Three-Eyed Raven? That's what it says. Holy uh, cow. Uh, he also did some voice work for Skyrim. Uh, he was Esbern. I don't remember Esbern. Um, if it yeah. wasn't the guard that said, let me guess, someone stole your sweet roll, then I don't really remember any any dialogue from that. And then he was also one of the doctors in Shutter Island. Really? Uh, Dr. Nearing. Yes! Yeah. He was the German. Uh-huh. The German guy. I'll be darned. I did not know this guy was in so many things. Yeah, he's he's not like crazy star power, but he's pretty good star power. No, but he, yeah, he's been power. in good movies. He, he, yeah, he's not like Tom Cruise, but he's pretty, sure. pretty well known. Yeah, well, um, he's he's more well known than um, Alex Ad, Alex Jones, Sam Jones, Sam Jones, who yeah, plays Jones. Uh, Flash Gordon. Uh, and when that basically is his career defining. Role. Yes, there's not much else that he's been no. Um, Although other, he was in the movie Ted, remember Ted? And Ted. Uh, because in the movie Ted with Mark Wahlberg and uh, who was the guy who played uh, 
Seth MacFarlane, he played Ted the teddy bear who kind of came to life. Uh, they love Flash Gordon, and Flash ends up showing up at a party, and uh, he, like, he, just watch the film for yourself. I don't recommend it because it's not very family-friendly, but Flash and them all end up getting, um, I think, high, and then he attacks some Asian guy and says, death to Ming. Um, it's super weird, but that's, like, the only two things I know Sam Jones from. Sure, and that's pretty much, I think that's basically his whole career. Right. Max Moncito is a great old uh, actor. Yeah. Uh, the other one, of course, we talked about is Timothy Dalton. Mm-hmm. Played, played uh, 007. 007. Yep. Yeah. He was James Bond in a couple. I, a couple or just one? Uh, let's see. Uh, the IMDb has... Uh, I thought it was License to Kill. He, yeah, he was in License to Kill. Yeah. He's also in The Living Daylights. Okay. Uh, he, oh, he was also in Hot Fuzz as Simon Skinner. Oh, really? Yeah. That's funny. Uh, so he was in quite a few things. Huh. Yeah. Um, Shame. Shame. <laughs> we talked about that that uh, reaction gif where the guy's loading the shotgun, and he's just shaking his head saying, Shame. And that's from Hot Fuzz. Uh, the last notable tidbit that I wanted to point out, Dr. Sarkov is played by uh, Topol, who mm-hmm. plays the... Uh, uh, the main dad, uh, Tevya, in Fiddler on the Roof. Really? Yeah. You know, I haven't seen that um, that production of it, but um, that's interesting. I, 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 and you kind of get that. Uh, it's weird because you think he's Russian when yeah. he first comes in, but then as you're going through his memories, as they're draining out his memories, you see that he's Jewish. Yeah, you see a lot of Jewish things happening. Yeah, and so there's a, there's a big screen showing the memories that they're yeah, draining. Yeah, as as they're draining it out of his mind. But I, I'm not. I, I mean, he could be Russian. There yeah. were, you know, there were a lot of Jewish people in, you know, Eastern Europe. Is there Russian uh, Jewish people? Or some kind of, you know, Ukrainian. Maybe they fled maybe. there. Yeah, maybe Ukrainian or something. But yeah. his accent is almost unmistakably um, kind of Northern European. Yeah. North, yeah. Northeastern European. Especially with a name like Zarkov. Like. Yeah, like Zarkov, you know. Of course, maybe Zarkov could be Jewish. Could be. Would you think? That's... I'm not really sure. Uh, if you know uh, the ethnicity of Dr. Sarkov, please write into the B-Movie <laughs> podcast. Um, yeah, so that's pretty awesome. The one thing I would like to kind of end the buzz with is uh, I was looking through some reviews about this movie because it's so weird how enjoyable it is. And I I found the best review uh, from someone named Dave Kerr, K-E-H-R, Dave Kerr or Kerr. From the Chicago Reader, they're voted a top critic on Rotten Tomatoes, and they just have a one, two, three, four word review: a respectable time waster. <laughs> I think that's how we could we could uh, summarize Flash Gordon: just a respectable time waster. You know, yeah. it's it's enjoyable. You, you, it's got a lot of mileage in it. Uh, you could you could get a lot of mileage out of it. So. That's the, that's the kind of thing I think of the buzz. So let's move on to grading. For those of you who listen to the podcast, you know that we grade on a B system. Obviously, we're the B-movie podcast. So a B-plus is this movie is so bad, it's good, and I want to watch it again and again. I want to tell my friends about it. A B is, meh, I watched it. I'm glad I watched it once. Probably not going to watch it again. And a B-minus, or a BM, is this movie is so bad, I had to stop myself from gouging my eyes out with a dull spoon. Uh, alternatively, it's a stinky pile of poo-poo. So, Courtney, Andrew, what are your guys' grades for Flash Gordon? I would say it's a B. You say it's a B? Yes. You're glad to have seen it, but you probably wouldn't watch it again and again? Exactly. Okay. All right. Um, for me, it's it's a B plus. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that might have been evident as we were talking about yeah. it. Um, and I'm trying not to be too biased as, you know, my Star War- my love for Star Wars, I feel mm-hmm. like it's kind of influenced my view of this movie as well. But I think even that aside, um, it's... it's uh, in my opinion, a hilariously good bad movie. Yeah. Um, it it's not a movie that if I could pick any movie in the world, I could watch like once 
if I could pick any movie in the world and watch, it might not be Flash Gordon, but if I had to pick any bad movie in the world and watch, it probably is Flash Gordon. Yeah. Uh, I gotta say, so this surprised me a lot because seeing the opening menu for the DVD uh, or for the Blu-ray, I was like, ooh, this is this is not good. Um, <laughs> I was fully prepared for another like last airbender experience or or something else um, that or like a Mario Brothers experience. And it honestly ended up it it grows on you like a weird fungus. Like it just it's so strange and it, it straddles this line of we're not trying too hard, but we are self-aware, but we're still making a good film. And honestly, it it earns it earns the B plus from me. Uh, I really enjoy this movie. I'm probably going to buy a copy of it myself uh, and show it to some friends or at least watch it again uh, to pick up some more of the jokes and more of the lines that I kind of missed. Um, and I honestly love I think my favorite character has to be uh, Clytus. Uh, he, he's such an interesting character and he's got this kind of depth to him, uh, and the secrecy to him that I really enjoy, but I give it a B plus. It's so bad. It's good. I'd recommend to friends and I'd watch it over and over. So, um, that's, that's kind of the grade you get. So now we have to answer the absolutely needless question. Is this better or worse than the B movie? So we have to be careful here because so far... No film has been better than the B-movie on the B-movie podcast. And of course that makes sense because the B-movie is our overarching metric by which we grade all other (laughs) B-movies. And so we need to look at the raw data for this. So the B-movie got a grade from us as a B-plus, obviously, on the podcast because it's the best B-movie ever, right? Um, So it's a B-plus. Its budget was $150 million. Uh, the box office was 287.6 million, which is a 91.7.91.73333 increase, uh, and so it did well in the box office. Now, do you happen to have the box office numbers pulled up, Andrew? I don't. If you don't, I can read it. So, how much do you think the box office budget was? Not the not the box the office. The budget. The budget for Flash Gordon. How much do you think the budget was for this film? Ten million. You think, Courtney? You have any thoughts? I would say around the same. Around the same. So. Um, Shockingly, it has a $20 million budget, uh, which is kind of crazy. And what strikes me, I didn't do the math on this, but that's $20 million in 1980. Uh, Andrew, while, while I'm sitting here, could you look up what $20 million in 1980 would be in 2000? I think 11 is when the B movie came out. No, 2008. Yeah, look up uh, how much $20 million in 1980 would be in 2008. So that was the budget. Now, here's the question. How did this film get received in the box office? Uh, Because a lot of films that we like that are kind of cult classics, say like Rocky Horror Picture Show um, or Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, a lot of the times they don't do well in the budget box office or in the box office uh, and they don't meet their budget or exceed their budget. And so it was very interesting as I was doing some research to recognize that this actually had a big following in Europe. Because it was a Dutch-American, um, there's one more production. Like So it was like a multi-country production that came together to do this. And so in the overseas markets, uh, it ended up being kind of, kind of a hit, I guess. It, but it was a hit enough that it did decently enough in the box office. So do you have the, uh, the data on what $20 million in 2008 would be? 
59 million. So, basically 60 million. So 60 million dollars uh, in 2008. So 60 million versus 150 million. So here's the cumulative worldwide gross. Uh, it was budgeted for 20 million. The worldwide gross was 27 million 107 thousand 960 dollars, which is an increase of 35.5 percent. So it made its money back, and then a little bit of money on the side. Um, however, uh, it was more well received critically than the B movie. So, do you know what the Rotten Tomatoes score for the B movie is? Fifty percent. Perfect. Fifty percent. Okay. The audience score for the B movie is fifty-three uh, percent. So it's close to fifty percent. <laughs> if you had to guess what the Rotten Tomatoes tomato meter score for Flash Gordon was, what do you think it is? I would say seventy percent. Seventy percent. Yeah. Okay. What do you think, Andrew? This is the critic score. This is the critic score. Uh, let's see. Uh, I'll give it a 65. 65? It has an 80% critic score on Rotten Tomatoes. Now, uh, that's already above the tomato meter for the critic score for the, the B movie. Now, the audience score for the B movie is 53%. What do you think the audience score for uh, Flash Gordon is? Do you I think, think that, 90%? I think it's pretty high. I'll throw 90 as well. It's, it's actually 69%. Uh, nice. Yeah. Nice. So, um, 69%. So, if we look, if we look at this in totality, I think, you know, the grade is a B plus, right? It made its money back and then some. It wasn't as popular in the box office. So the B movie has it kind of set there. But honestly, it blows the B movie out of the water when it comes to critics rating and audience rating. Like, I'm surprised. I mean, it's not super big, but a 30% increase in critics rating over the B movie, that's remarkable. Like, we've yet to see a movie do so well among critics and an audience score. It beats it in both, and that's not happened yet in the B movie podcast history. So, we have to answer this question Is this better or worse than the B movie? So, Andrew Courtney, what, what are your answers there? Uh, well, so as far as the stats go, it's, it's kind of hard to say, but uh, with the critic score, it, that's, a, that's a tough one to beat. Um, being a sci-fi guy, I think I had to pick Flash Gordon above the B movie, but not by much. Uh, the B movie is is good in my opinion, but Flash Gordon scratches my mm -hmm. itch. It's better, but not by much. <laughs> yeah. So um, this is controversial for me because I, I, you know, as the B movie podcast, we get our name kind of from the B movie. That's the whole premise of this podcast. I think for the very first time in B movie podcast history. I have to agree that this movie is better than the Beam movie. I think it has a bigger cult classic following. I think it has, you know, the better music score. It may not have all the big name actors that the Beam movie does, but it pulls off something that is very difficult to pull off in that comic book adaptation space operetta um, that Flash Gordon does. So, Flash, ah, uh, better than the Beam movie. So that's that's what I have to say, uh, surprisingly. So uh, this is our, our grade and our review. If you disagree with us, we would love to hear from you. So uh, if you want to reach out to us and give us your opinion on Flash Gordon versus the B-Movie, you can write in to us at thebmoviepodcast at gmail.com. That's the letter B. You can also tweet at us at thebmoviepod, which is the letter B. We're on Facebook as the B-Movie Podcast. We're also on Instagram as the B-Movie Podcast. I would love to hear your feedback on Flash Gordon versus the B-Movie. Um, and so please write in to us. Tell us what you think about it. Uh, and Andrew, Courtney, I mean, do you have any last thoughts, anything you want to plug before we go? Uh, it was great to come out and record the podcast. Uh, we li well, we, li we listened to the first few episodes that have come mm -hmm. out, and it's, it's a pretty great podcast. So. Yeah, thanks.
Yeah, no, you're so welcome. So uh, join us for our next episode, which I believe we'll be reviewing the other cult classic, Kung Pao Enter the Fist. Uh, and so join us. That should be a good one. Uh, but for now, we hope you're having a great new year. We hope you're enjoying the podcast, and we hope you come back and listen for future episodes. Thanks. Bye-bye. <laughs>